Bega Valley Shire Library acknowledges and pays respect to the traditional custodians of the lands, waterways and airspace of the Shire in which we live, work and play, the Yuin and Monaro peoples. Hope, Loss, Resilience is a podcast series exploring how people stay hopeful, how they deal with loss and the resilience that binds the Bega Valley. It focuses on community experiences during the early years of the COVID-19 pandemic. Hi, I'm Craig Garrett, a library officer with the Beaker Valley Shire Library. In early 2023, I began interviewing people across the Beaker Valley on the far south coast of New South Wales about their experiences during the early years of the COVID-19 pandemic. This was for an oral histories project called Talking Together. I travelled across this rural shire of about 35,000 people or so, driving by forests and rivers, mountains and coast, past family farms and tourist towns. While COVID-19 was a global pandemic and a global story, it's also a local story, and the experiences of the last few years can't be separated from the individual families, histories, lives and places where they occur. There is no one universal story of COVID times. All too often we're told that small places and everyday people don't matter in the big scheme of things, but history is made by everybody every day. And who knows how the impacts of COVID will reverberate in future years. In this series, you'll hear from a range of people across the Bega Valley, from nurses to school students, artists to small business owners, grocery workers to retirees. Stories of grief or ingenuity often told with country humour or warmth or rawness. Each episode explores a different theme, fire, health, education, community, family or business. We're starting the series with fire because for almost everyone I spoke to, the 2019-2020 bushfires and the start of the COVID-19 pandemic are almost inseparable. You can't talk about one without the other. Just a heads up, this episode is quite a bit heavier than the others. This discusses the bushfires and trauma and touches on themes of domestic violence. They're important stories, but in some places, hard to hear. So if that's not where your head is at right now, feel free to jump into another episode. The World Health Organization has declared the coronavirus a global pandemic. Pandemic is not a word to use lightly. As the reality of COVID-19 sunk in, the people of this place understood COVID wasn't just happening elsewhere. Gatherings outside or inside should not be more than two people unless it's your immediate family. We have rung the alarm bell loud and clear. This says everybody should be preparing for person-to-person spread. The pandemic has also had lasting implications for the bushfire recovery. Day of 2019 and it's going to be a doozy. I'm going to go, like, I've been told to leave, but can't leave if we don't have fuel. Hello, you've been uh, in property protection mode all morning. So when can we go back home? I'm, I'm a diabetic, you know, and I left all, run out and I left all my medicines and everything at home. This is the fifth call out in five weeks and two in the last two days and you can see the flames coming. This fire won't go out. It wiped a 15,000 acre valley out in half an hour. In the three years leading into the 2019-2020 Black Summer bushfires, 2017, 2018 and 2019 were among the warmest on record. Rainfall from January 2017 to December 2019 was the lowest on record 
and conditions in New South Wales were drier and hotter than any other drought in the last 120 years. But that's enough from me. Before we get into it, let's take a breath with Candelo poet Ray Kennedy as she reflects on place and home. The shape of this place. This small town home is marked by uphill streets, tumbling love grass paddocks, winds that whip westerly, our aging welcome sign, an ancestral plane tree. The old creek meanders, all bends and guesses, eroding along edges, a thread of the story of who she used to be. From where I sit, north-facing, Bamboka Peak stands, gray-blue in silhouette, while black cows graze the slope, bring the flies home to nest. This is big valley sky with no level horizon, a crisscross map of paper roads and mountain drives. The shape of this place is supple and strong. Less edge, more ebb, all crevice and hillside, where life eddies and echoes and light stretches long. My name is Amanda Midlam and I have lived in Eden for 25 years. I was deeply traumatised by the bushfires. I was just, I was just in a state. I was just, you know, is this real, is this not real? Especially when New Year's Eve, the Mayor Christy McBain said, Eden will not be defended, your best chance is to leave now. I don't think I've ever been the same since then because you just lose this innocence. You think if shit happens, there'll be fire brigades and police and, you know, there'll be rescue. You might not be rescued, but there'll be an attempt. But to know, no, no, just being abandoned. I don't think you really get back to feeling you know, feeling the way you did before that. I'm Julie. I'm a AASW accredited mental health social worker and a counsellor. Professionally, I'd been working during the bushfires in the evacuation centres, supporting there and then afterwards providing counselling to people who were experiencing distress. I'd been, like everyone else, running on a bit of adrenaline and cortisol getting through that period. So just prior to COVID hitting, I was trying to, I guess, ground myself again and recover. That was, I think, a time where myself, family and what I was seeing in the community, we were still sort of in a bit of a fog from the bushfires, still sort of in that stage of, did that really happen? Was that really our experience? I've had a lot of um, counselling, trauma counselling. I think that's a good thing and a number of people... I know did, and I know a number of people who should have who didn't. I think the whole community is traumatised. A lot of people aged a lot. I think more dementia, more health problems, and I think there are attempts to deal with it at a community level like offering counselling, 
but at an individual level, no. And I, I see it now happening in other communities because of floods and things like this. We're dealing with traumatised individuals and traumatised communities. You know, like I remember going to the newsagent buying a newspaper. This was during the bushfires and neither the newsagent nor I could really figure out what changed from $5 or $10 or something. Like everyone's cognitive abilities had just gone. I'm now scared of summers. I used to love summer. You know, winter was something that you, yeah, all right, light the wood fire, that's nice. Have a warm bowl of soup, that's nice. Okay, can summer come back now, please? And now it's, I dread summers. I dread summers after the bushfires. So that's, that's a big thing, a big shift, yeah. When COVID hit, that's the state that everybody was in. So my name's Lisa Herbert. I was born and raised in Melbourne and I've been coming to this actual property where we're sitting right now since I was a young girl, about 12. Pre-COVID, I had been working as a journalist covering the fires, so I was feeling it very deeply and that affected me in, in, in many ways. So when March came around and the COVID thing, I was still dealing with a response to the bushfires. I'm Jane. I'm the manager at the Bega Women's Resource Centre. The end of 2019 was, it was really awful. And I think for people who maybe weren't local during that time as well, people tend to forget the drought, which immediately preceded the fires, which was absolutely devastating. Our community was already really struggling with that, with the you know, the impacts of economic loss, the impacts of people having to destock their places and oftentimes destocking actually meant having to kill their animals because they couldn't transport them, there wasn't money for food. That was the only option for them. When you're working in small farm holdings, we're not big cattle stations around here, like this is very personal, this is really, you know, family farms, people who have a real connection to the land and their animals. So that was, an, you know, a heartbreaking time and then the fires were obviously absolutely devastating. I think something like the first week of March, the end of the first week of March was when the fires were officially declared, actually extinguished here for the Bega Valley. And I think it was something like two weeks later that that first nationwide harsh lockdown came into place. So a lot of people were still, well, a lot of people are still not in homes, but a lot of people were still in evacuation mode nowhere to go. There were places that still didn't have electricity, places that didn't have communications, incredibly difficult times for a lot of people. And then to have this lockdown, which precluded accessing supports or, or even being able to connect with other members of your community at a time when that was so crucial to just being able to kind of get up out of bed every day. It was really quite damaging to a lot of folk in our community, I think. I work with a lot of farmers. They were having to sell off their stock and just try and hold on to their best breeders. And then we had the bushfires that killed their breeders. So they, they had nothing left. It was extremely difficult. And then we went straight into the floods. The ash would all run into the dams, which those that were fortunate enough to have stock left were getting this toxic water from all the ash and everything and fences just whatever you know those that were fortunate to have fences rebuilt 
were then washed away from the floods. And then they went into a pandemic. And I remember some of the farmers, because my father-in-law, he's passed long gone, but he loved his his monthly thing was to go to the cattle sales, the stock sales. And that's where in his older years, he loved to get there and have a yak to the the other old cow cockies and everything. And, and then that's what our farmers missed out on too with the pandemic. There was none of that. And that was their main source of connection. Some of the farmers that I saw, because, you know, they're, they're usually, you know, on remote sort of properties in, in our area and they're not in so much in town. And a lot of them, you know, were also volunteers in our rural fire service as well and been doing that for years. And so they were also trying to help each other and our firefighters were just doing an extraordinary job and they were leaving their family behind and their properties to go and help us. And you just saw so much goodness in the communities, didn't you? It was just so many people going beyond what's called for and risking everything for the greater good of the whole community. In the next section, we explore some of the community's experiences of the fires during the months immediately before the arrival of COVID-19. This is critical to getting a picture of what life was like in the Bega Valley just as the pandemic hit. My name is Anita. I'm actually living in Toowoomba, the valley. We've got our little farmlet up on the hill and we're trying to bring it into self-sufficiency, sustainability. I'm also the local bus driver for school. So after the fires, because they came down from the border, came through and came into that back end of Eden and through all that forest. So the damage by fire, it just ripped right through that area and the lower snake track. I mean, there were cindering trees. As you drove back out after the, say, a week after, you just had cinders, no growth at all. It was just grey. You had that feeling of complete loss, like, wow, that the wildlife and the lyrebirds and it's not there anymore. We've lost it. You know, you really, it was very heavy days, heavy-hearted. You sort of looked at what had happened amongst also the loss of personal possessions, people in the area. My name is Gabrielle Rose and I'm the co-artistic director of Fling Physical Theatre, which is an amazing youth dance company based in the Bega Valley. When 2020, we're at sort of cusp into 2019, 2020, we've had a really huge project happening with Form Dance Projects, which is a company based in Western Sydney. And we made this piece called Encounter, which was a large collaboration with dancers from Western Sydney, dancers from the Fling Company and the Sydney Youth Orchestra. So this project was in the works. It had been performed at the Four Winds Youth Festival and then the bushfires hit. We were stuck. I had gone, I couldn't cope. I was, yeah, I'd already been in one in Tathra. I was really struggling, but Rob Rob McCready, who's the other co-artistic director with Fling, incredibly got our dancers out of the Beaker Valley. It was like crunch time. Like it was that point where like we had to leave or you had to stay. And so he was contacting all the families and the families decided that they still wanted their children to perform because we were actually performing in the Sydney Festival. First time ever. It was big. 
we were sort of like, do we cancel? Do we go ahead? We pushed ahead and Rob, this gives me goosebumps, but essentially he got all the kids out and drove up with their families. They, there were tears and hugs when they arrived because the kids in Parramatta knew what was going on, but they didn't quite understand maybe the depth of what was happening. And a lot of the parents who went on that journey with them were under a lot of stress. A lot of them had homes here that were under threat. So it was a very trying time, but my God, that show was incredible. (laughs) And so they performed in the Sydney festival, but we couldn't celebrate it. It was really the wrong timing to share that story here. Off the back of that, COVID arrived. And it was like, what is the next thing? It just felt like one thing after another. My name's Janice Nelson. My husband and I moved from Wonthaggy in Victoria to Eden in late 1988. We were medical practitioners, general practitioners, and we started a new clinic in Eden. We loved it here. We really appreciated the beautiful uncrowded beaches and the bushwalks and uh, proximity to the ski fields and the good friends we made here. Just over four years ago, I retired from work and at the same time became engaged to marry an old friend, an ex-Eden man, actually, who was also widowed. And we had planned to marry in January 2020, but of course the Black summer bushfires intervened and the wedding was postponed. Eden was actually evacuated on the day that we were to be married. Yeah, well, at the time of the fires, we we evacuated to Canberra first, thinking that we'd be back in a couple of days. But then after four days, it was apparent that the threat wasn't going to go away any time soon. And rather than live with family members, etc., we thought we might head down to Melbourne. So we ended up being in Frankston. And then, of course, it was very difficult to get back here because the highway was closed for five weeks. After a while, I decided I would fly back. So I booked a flight and spent all day getting to the airport and waiting for the plane and boarding the plane and traveling to Marimbula. And then the plane circled around Marimbula and went back to Melbourne. That wasn't very successful. So a week or so later, I got a bus back. The highway was open then. It was about five, five or six weeks. It's kind of interesting to think about it now that I feel a lot better, but at the time I I developed anxiety, so I was dealing with that. It started in November actually for me, the bushfires, and then December I was, uh, I think about December the 8th, I was up at Batemans Bay covering Karawan fires. We were covered in smoke the whole time, so it was very it's very tangible and it was on us all the time. So it was all that everyone talked about, of course. I was up and down the coast a lot and writing about stories and taking a lot of photographs of things and publishing them on my social media. They were being published on About Regional, which is published by Region Media out of Canberra, which was all very well and good. And then I went up to visit a colleague and stay with her in Maruya oh, the day before New Year's Eve. So I was in Maruya when, when it all went shit. There was no power in Maruya. There were people living in their cars all around us. Um, so, yeah, when I say no power, no fuel, no phones, no traffic lights, nothing. So we were out foraging, trying to charge batteries for fairy lights so we could see <laughs> inside. Um, and, it, of course, there was no, no sun. It was really dark and... Uh, 
that was an intense period. That was the time when the power came on. I could get fuel and I could leave Maruya. I was driving with, that was the day that the mayor called for everyone to leave the Shire. So I was in that traffic and I came home to a big property, which is where I am now, but there was no one here. Everyone had left. So I came home and sat here in the smoke. We were safe here, but I sat in the smoke in a pit of despair. The end of 2019 was very much dominated by fires, which was a very frightening time. Our place wasn't impacted, thankfully, but we were evacuated a number of times, as were many of the residents of the Bega Valley and all up and down the coast, obviously. So we saw a lot of impacts. Um, firstly, from the fires, the Women's Resource Centre, we have a number of different things here that women can access, among which are a shower, bathroom facilities and a washing machine. So those very practical supports became useful for women in need. A lot of women also accessing the evacuation centres didn't feel safe in those public bathing facilities. So we did have a lot of women using the space for that. We then had women who needed things, clothing, bedding, all those physical things that they had lost during the fires or were damaged or, you know, where they couldn't even go back to their properties because those areas still weren't safe, so they still needed things, you know, you need stuff. So there were lots of necessities that we were able to provide for people during that time. As we moved into COVID, it became even more challenging. So we were considered an essential service, so we were allowed to remain open. Many services couldn't, many services didn't. Because we provide, we have emergency food relief here, because we provide that, that classed us as an essential service. But what I found most was that women were needing the space for support. So. We saw a huge increase in um, uh, people coming for DV assistance after the fires. You may be aware that when communities are in crisis, we do see the impacts of DV go up simply because out-of-control people who need to feel some sense of control if they're abusive in their relationships, that's when we'll see an increase in those types of behaviours. That was already trending upwards in our community and then of course with the COVID lockdowns that exacerbated that experience for a number of women and children. I think in terms of the services that we needed because of the fires that was sorely lacking, a lot of money for relief and assistance post-fires went to organisations outside of the Bega Valley and they brought a number of clinicians and support teams and all sorts of stuff in from other areas. As soon as COVID came, they left. And I'm aware that a number of services then provided a range of online assistance. But again, you may recall that some of our people didn't still have electricity or communications. Those were, you know, taken out with the fires. So whilst I'm sure there was every intention of doing that work and providing that support, the situation at the time meant that people couldn't access it and people were still in the midst of that trauma, in the midst of yeah, everything was burnt. Like, I, I, yeah, like everywhere you looked, it was burnt. That's all you could see. Like, yeah, it was a horrible time. And, um, yeah, for a lot of people, the support that they needed just simply wasn't available and that wasn't that wasn't just because of COVID. It was a complication of COVID. But I think had those 
investments been made in local services, there would have been a much greater opportunity to provide the support that was needed because as soon as local services open, could open up, they did. But a lot of those external providers continued to provide a remote service which wasn't suitable for our community. Trauma can accumulate. So we're talking about emotional and psychological trauma here. So if you think of like a dam or a wall of resilience that we've built up from childhood that protects us from when we have these distressing events throughout life. We manage, we get through, we've got our coping strategies. And then if you imagine a hammer coming down and crushing your wall of the resilience. If you think of it as a brick wall and it's all crumbled to the ground. So the bushfires may have done that for some people. So all those previous other traumas that you've been through in life and the bushfires trauma has all come hurtling onto you for your brain to try and like, what? What is going on? How am I going to manage all this? And and then there's the pandemic on top of that. So people were raw and exposed and the brain just responds. It's to keep us as a human being, to keep us alive. So if they sense there's a threat or there's danger, it will go into either the flight, fight or freeze response. And then trying to build that wall of resilience up again when we couldn't connect and feel safe was like trying to get dry sand and make a wall. It just doesn't work. So many were left alone with all these big feelings and not knowing how to calm that lower brain, which controls our nervous system, controlling all our vital organs and things. And so people were having experiences then of maybe the racing heart and thinking that they're having a heart attack or something. Also, that nervous system has been engaged. We can feel sick in the tummy. And of course, that might last five minutes or it might last a day. As COVID-19 hit, many in the Bega Valley were still reeling with the aftermath of the recent disasters. Here, locals talk about how this affected their bodies, relationships and their sense of security or safety. For me personally, I was still struggling with a lot of anxiety post bushfires. I think the bushfires really messed my entire nervous system around. And so when COVID arrived, I was in this subtle state of panic all the time. And I was thinking about it from a very personal family oriented point of view. I had a three-year-old at the time. I was quite nervous about what was going to come. And it was sort of, I feel like my partner and I were in this sort of state of disaster readiness. It felt like the world's ending. What are we going to do? Like when the Tathra bushfires happened, I was really affected by that. But then I had to make decisions about what we were doing next because it was like this one small locality where I was hugely impacted, but we still had things operating in like Pamula and Marimbula and we had parents going, well, why aren't classes on? You know, and it was like, oh gosh, okay, right. That's right. Everyone's different here. Bermagui still normal, but Tathra's not. So it was like this strange phenomena of trying to deal with people's differences. I was aware that I, I sort of as a leader wanted to ensure that I wasn't reacting to things. And I felt that, yeah, I couldn't trust that I was doing that well. 
Yeah. So I guess on reflection, the beginning was just a bit of like, oh God, what next? <laughs> How am I personally going to deal with this? And then Fling had to pause. We all paused and yeah, I then sort of regrouping and going, all right, how do we move forward? I got better, but I developed this anxiety and I, I had to fix things and save things and write about things and investigate things. And my uh, boss has said to me, just call it. But I felt this drive inside me to do try and do something which is, and then feeling anxious because I couldn't do anything. Well, what can you do? So when COVID hit, I um, was about to seek out some counselling for this anxiety because I'd never had that before. So I feel like I'm at this new strange place, but I'm, I'm going to survive and I'm going to make change or something and push through. I'm still kind of exploring inside me and I think the bushfire started this sense that I'm watching the planet completely implode and I remember the despair during the fires at this endless red days I would wake up and it was just red sky or black sky and smoke and this sense of what are we doing what is happening what are we doing to this place then to go into COVID, it's like, well, you know, it could happen. You know, it's. I feel very much like I'm living in a on a planet that is very, you know, things could collapse. So what's the? I'm searching for a word, and of course, of course, since COVID and the fires, I find it difficult to. I have some memory gaps, like words and some short term memory gaps. But I think I'm looking for fragility. So I, you know, I have that sense that everything's very fragile. People that were coming to me were so often experiencing anxiety, what they thought was anxiety, and a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. What else is going to happen next? So there's that type of hypervigilance, thinking, well, yeah, what's next? They're coming because they can't sleep. They're coming because they're irritable, maybe, and it's impacting on their relationships. They're coming because they're anxious. They're coming because their nervous system is on edge all the time and they're not sure what's going on. It helps with their thoughts about themselves as well, because sometimes we tend to blame ourselves. Oh, why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? Why didn't I leave sooner? Or, you know, all these different things. So with the therapy, it's very rewarding to hear people have a better sense of themselves and to have their sleep improved and to have their relationships improve. And it's definitely around that accumulation. With the pandemic, it's almost like our brains were rewired. When we had to isolate and be on our own, our brains sort of adjusted to that. Then it was hard to get back out of the door very hard and, and I've got people still that it's it's a struggle to get out the front door even to get their bread and milk a day so yeah loneliness but feeling incredibly you know they're they're holding that they want to get out the door they want to go out and socialize but the anxiety around doing that and and the loneliness you know they're sort of weighing up this loneliness versus the anxiety of going out and if they do get out the door you know then it's exhausting the next day then they're they're on the lounge for the day 
because they were in this hypervigilant state the whole time when they went out. They were trying to get out and connect. I just see such relief with people when they realise that them getting argumentative or running out or, you know, leaving in anxiety and all that, it hasn't been something that they could control. It was a brain's response. And as much as they try to on their own, it was just too hard and they weren't deliberately doing it. We rescheduled our wedding for September 20, so put it off by nine months. At that time, public gatherings were severely curtailed. We could have postponed again, but we decided to go ahead. Very few people from my husband's family were able to attend due to the border closures in Victoria and between Victoria and um, Queensland with New South Wales. We ended up having 22 guests, which was allowable, including the minister and his wife. And we Zoomed the wedding to other family and friends who might otherwise have attended, which was quite successful and saved a lot of travelling. The wedding was in the church in town and um, the reception here. And I catered for the wedding myself as there was around 22 people. (laughs) So it was interesting, anyway, different. Catering for my for it myself meant that we didn't need to involve other people too. We were really trying to keep the numbers down. It's now three years after, roughly that's a guess. But the regrowth, the trees have had shoots and they've taken off and we've had all that new regrowth of trees that, shrubs that come in after fires so from the burning and the dropping of the seeds and now we've got a lot of tea tree and wattle tree and amassed beneath the canopies and the canopies that have survived they're doing all right it's an amazing thing to see actually happen you lose hope and then there's like rebirthing it's amazing it is it that's a good positive view of what we've lost and now what what we're gaining. Initially, we were trying to reassure people that they were having a normal brain response to a disaster. Our brains are wired for connection. As human beings, we strongly need to connect for others to feel safe. If the brain feels safe, then the brain heals itself. The pandemic isolated people from their loved ones. Families were separated if they became ill and things like that, and also separated communities. So instead of us being able to meet as a community and basically debrief over what had happened and connect and compare stories and reassure each other, the pandemic robbed us of that that meant that the brain was really struggling. Our brains were struggling to feel safe. This meant that more and more people were being triggered again in that lower part of their brain because they weren't able to connect with loved ones and community. Every time we go into that lower part of the brain, we're releasing cortisol, which is our stress hormone. You imagine from the bushfires, we've had so much of that cortisol running through our body. And then we go into a pandemic and 
our immune systems were lowered because of all this cortisol that's not meant to be going through our body all the time. We're not designed for that ongoing stress hormone all the time. So we went into a pandemic with our immunity probably compromised already. You've been listening to Fire, the first episode in Hope, Loss, Resilience, a Beaker Valley Shire library production. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts. A huge thanks to all those people's stories you heard. Amanda Midlam, Julie Irwin, Lisa Herbert, Jane Hughes, Anita Coakley, Gabrielle Rhodes and Janice Nelson. All these interviews are part of the Beaker Valley Shire Library's Oral Histories Project, Talking Together. You can hear or read the full interviews and transcripts and more in the Beaker Valley Shire Library's catalogue. Go to library.beakervalley.newsouthwales.gov.au Or, if you're in the Beaker Valley, just pop into a library and ask the librarian. If this episode has brought up anything for you, you can reach Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you're in the Beaker Valley and would like to connect with mental health services, you can call free one 800 011 511 24 hours 7 days You can find full links to resources in our show notes The music you heard was Rocks and Snow by David Ross MacDonald and you can find his work at davidrossmacdonald.bandcamp.com The opening poem was The Shape of This Place by Ray Kennedy and the music 3QX by Baron Grant the original bushfire and COVID broadcast audio was from the Southeast Breakfast Program and was supplied by ABC, your emergency broadcaster, with additional archive audio from ABC News 24. We'd also like to thank the Candelow Roadshow Radio Hour, Community Radio 93.7 Edge FM, Headspace Bega, and Southern New South Wales Local Health. And additional thanks to our wonderful, brilliant transcribers, Joe Osler, Alexander Masika, Trish Dive, Janet Reynolds. Project lead and management thanks to Linda Albertson, Sukita Val, Rachel Higginbotham and Sarah Morrison. Extra organisational help for all those bibs and bobs that just pop up every now and again, Anita Coakley, Carly MacDonald and Emma Woolley and Vanessa Barrett. Web design, Natalie Martin-Remmett, script editing and podcast production, Shona Hawks. Principal production, including audio and sound design, by Craig Garrett. This program is part of the Bega Valley Shire Library's Talking Together Oral Histories Project, funded under the Joint Australian Government, New South Wales Government Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements 2018 through the New South Wales Reconstruction Authority. The views expressed do not necessarily represent the views of the New South Wales Government.